This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Everyday Tech. I'm Michelle McAdoo here today with Jeremy Thompson, owner of Computer Doctors and Phone Surgeons in Hattiesburg. Well, in a world where children are growing up digital, it's important to help them learn healthy concepts of digital use. And parents play an important role in teaching these skills. But where do you begin? Well, today we'll discuss parenting in a digital age and tips on how to navigate through it all. Plus, we're taking your personal tech questions. Now, to be a part of the show, you can give us a call this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 877 Or you can email us at everydaytech at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Everyday Tech, the tech show for everyday people, only on MPB Think Radio. Can't get to a radio? Well, don't worry. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. This is Everyday Tech. I'm Michelle McAdoo here today with Jeremy Thompson, owner of Computer Doctors and Phone Surgeons in Hattiesburg. Well, in a world where where children are growing up digital, it's important to help them learn healthy concepts of digital use. And parents play an important role in teaching these skills. But how do you do it and where do you begin? Well, today we're going to discuss parenting in a digital age and tips on how to navigate through it all. Plus, Jeremy is standing by ready to answer your tech questions. Now, to be a part of the show, give us a call this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 877 Or you can email us at everydaytech at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning. <laughs> How's the weather in Hattiesburg? Uh, pr- pretty nice today. Really, really. Pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. Have Rained sun? a lot yesterday. Yeah. Do, uh, is it sunny uh, or is it overcast? No, no, we don't have any sun, but but it's not bad. It feels pretty good outside. True. Yesterday was what seventy. I felt like seventy, uh, a little bit yeah. higher. I had my it air on last high. night. <laughs> I slept with my air. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah. my god, February. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, it's so, go ahead. Never a dull moment with the Mississippi weather. I, I also slept with a fan on me last night. It's I know. Just wild. I, uh, where, meanwhile, the rest of the nation is being just uh, massive amounts of snow. Isn't so it something? You, you watch the bizarre. news and you see minus 30, minus 15. And right, yeah. We're 75 degrees in Mississippi. It's something. But that just tells you how the world is. Global warming, don't want to really get into that because a lot of people have their opinion on it. But did you hear about Australia and um, their 120 degree unusual weather? I mean, they have hot weather, but 120, it's excessive and uh if you listen to MPB on the weekends, they had a very good um, um, segment about that. And it was interesting. 120 degrees and climate is changing. Um, animals can't adapt to 120. It's it's interesting. Very interesting. So, you, so what you're telling me is that in addition to all the other things that can kill us in Australia now, just the environment in general, just the climate <laughs> as a whole is just going to just – it's the most dangerous place in the world. Just, just don't mean, go there. Just don't go there right now. Don't go. They say you can cook an um, egg outside on uh, the ground. Seriously, with a pan. Oh it's that hot. So um, speaking of hot, isn't that a nice segue? <laughs> Let's talk about our hottest stories of the week. Yeah, I have a great one. This one, of course, it affected me because I have an iPhone. But believe it or not, my daughter, a week ago, maybe two weeks, uh, came to me and said, Mom, I'm about to call you. Don't answer your phone. I'm like, what? I'm going to call you. Don't pick up. I'm like, okay. So she calls me. I don't pick up. And then she says, hey, Mom. And she's talking to me via FaceTime, and I didn't pick up my phone. I'm like, how did you do that? Oh, my God. That's I said, that's cool. 
<laughs> I didn't know that it was an actual bug and it's not cool. You know, a lot of men were like, no, we don't want this. But let me explain what happened. Um, at the heart of Apple's shocking FaceTime bug, which allowed just about anyone to turn an iPhone into a live microphone, stands a 14-year-old boy who stumbled upon the eavesdropping flaw more than a week before Apple took action. Wow. His name was Grant Thompson. He's a high school freshman in Tucson, Arizona. Now, he said that he and his mom spent almost a week unsuccessfully trying to get Apple to do something about the bug um, in the FaceTime group chatting feature. But they were unsuccessful, meaning they weren't really Apple wasn't really taking it um, at face value. They thought that they were being you know, crazy and they didn't think it was real. Now, the bug allowed callers to activate another person's microphone remotely, even before the person has accepted or rejected the call. Now, this eavesdropping scare is over now. Uh, Apple has disabled the group chats, but the problem could dog the company for much longer. Now, uh, New York state officials have opened the consumer rights investigation in this. Others are raising questions about how long it took Apple to address the bug and things like that. Now, in a statement this Friday, last Friday, Apple thanked the Thompsons um, as an announcement as they announced that um, it had identified the fix and will release it this week. So the fix should be done this week. Now, FaceTime group chatting will resume then isn't that something? So um, one thing that uh, was brought up was the fact that it took a while to get Apple to jump on uh, fixing this issue. That's not uncommon. I mean, th- these are these are massive companies that have to go through and they have to verify and test these things and make sure that they know what the problem is so they can create a patch for it. So I don't know exactly how long it took them, but. That's that's pretty common. That's that's uh, that would be any 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 large company uh, that was that had a bug brought to their attention probably wouldn't be able to fix it immediately just in the way that software patches and things work. Right. And then again, you didn't want to make a massive scare, but because teenagers, they communicate. And that's what we're talking about today. Actually, digital teenagers in the kids in the digital world, but they pass on information so quickly the, they knew about it before the parents knew about it. Yeah, and they it's, thought it was it's cool. Pretty, <laughs> well, it's it's pretty major, you know, because we we carry these devices around and we mm-hmm. trust that you know everything is secure. But mm-hmm. it's something simple like a fourteen-year-old kid who just pushes the right button at the right time and he figures out that wow, our security's just been kind of wide open on certain things. Mm-hmm. It. It's just the state of technology. It's just the way that things work. We talk about it all the time. Whenever somebody creates a program, all a hacker has to do is find one line of code that's that's messed up or, or can be exploited in order to take control of that device or in order to get it to do things that it's not normally supposed to do. Isn't that something? And you, uh, Grant was um, quoted saying, "He's I'm only 14, and I found, I found it by accident instead of the people at Apple – that get paid to find glitches. That was his whole point. And then his mom's bigger point was that the CEO or no one with Apple ever really just called them to thank them or even give accolades to them. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. No one has really ever reached out. They uh, made a comment on Twitter, but they never personally reached out to him, which is kind of odd. It's actually the Apple way. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're uh, so when it comes to, informing Apple that they've made a mistake, there's a huge company-wide gasp. A what? We don't even use words like that in this building because they're they're very mm, – let me just say it. They're, they're pretty stuck up. They do not like to admit when they've made a mistake or they've done something wrong. So they'll, you know, they'll smooth it over in any way they can to try and take focus off of themselves. Mm. Remember the iPads that people were opening – Last year, the, uh, that were that were bent, yes. and Apple was like, "Oh, that's that's not our problem. They just been in manufacturing." No, that is definitely your problem, and nobody needs a piece of bent technology. <laughs> but that's kind of what they do. They sort of sidestep the issues and deflect. So I'm not surprised. Wow. Well, in other news, I'll let you talk about on the other side of the spectrum, the Samsung Galaxy S10 range, their new phones. Big, big Samsung. Okay. So 
at this point, there's still speculation. Samsung hasn't officially released uh, a lot of information about it, but I do know that it is going to feature the hole punch display camera. So there won't be a uh, a notch or a, uh, a like a, a break in the bezel at the top of the phone where the camera would go. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a full display phone, and there will be a hole in the uh, in the glass where the camera goes. So it will just be seamlessly in the display Mm. um on the back they are featuring a uh, triple lens camera which is supposed to take some incredible pictures and and do a lot of stuff that the galaxy s9 and note 9 couldn't do uh the note 9 having two cameras on the back of it so it's a slight improvement over that one um the idea is that uh when you have uh three cameras that can take one picture at the same time then one of those pictures probably comes out pretty good uh (laughs) There's there's a lot more stuff. I, I really I don't like to talk about phones a lot before they come out because there's a whole lot of speculation and there's not a whole lot of confirmation. Mm. So well, I don't want to go too far off with it. This actually will be um, unveiled um, today. Uh, I know February twentieth. Excuse me, I'm a week ahead. Next, uh, no, it's not. It's two weeks, isn't it? February twentieth yep. uh, at the Galaxy Unpacked Media Event in London and San Francisco. So they're going to unveil their smartphone S10 range, which includes the Galaxy um, S10e, the Galaxy S10, and the Galaxy S10 Plus. And then the big, big honcho is the Galaxy. X, which you want to tell them about that foldable phone? <laughs> so the uh, the Galaxy 10, I, th- I think they're going to go with 10. I don't know if they're actually calling oh, it the X. you hate when I say that. You're like, why do you say X? <laughs> it's the Roman numeral, yeah. Uh, I, well, you know, I'm, I'm reading, so I read and I see an X, right, I say an yeah. X. <laughs> I know, it's confusing. And, and I was when I first started learning about Apple stuff, their their operating system is called OS ten, but it looks like OS X and oh. I used to call it that and people were like, Yeah, that's that's not what it's called. Wow. I was like, All right, well I learned by reading. <laughs> Anyways, the uh, Galaxy X or ten, whatever they happen to go by naming it, um, is a seven point three inch foldable OLED display. So it's supposed to let you uh, make it the size of a paperback or the size of a tablet. Wow. And we remember last year we were talking about the foldable phones and we were speculating how they would look and how they would operate, actually. So I'm still kind of confused about that, but. This is pretty exciting. This is a this is a pretty neat year uh, that we're going to see some some pretty incredible technology that's been worked on for uh, probably a decade now, at least. Uh, yeah, this is the grand unveiling of the foldable display. This is awesome. And they're doing it before Apple. So that's kind of interesting. I like to see Samsung and Apple go heads up. I really like to see that. As, <laughs> as far as I know, Apple is not working on a foldable display. Now, when it comes to something like that, they're not going to let you know that until it's time for everybody to know. Wow. There'll be little leaks and rumors, you know, for months before you know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Well, before we go to our break, let's uh, talk about our last hottest story. Now, this is an update we talked about last uh, year be- during the holiday season, uh, the Google Assistant un- um, interpreter mode. Remember we talked about that, how they were rolling it out at the CES um, this year? They talked about it, and it's actually uh, usable now. So this is the uh, interpreter function of the Google Assist that lets you speak one language to the device and have the have it translate what you said into another language. Now that's kind of cool. And that will work on your Google Home devices now, so it's not just stuck on your phone. You can actually use that feature on your Google Home. Mm-hmm. Now the only downside to this, uh, consumers say, is it's not particularly for a sentence or a conversation. So if you're looking to translate a word, they have 26 different languages that are um, inside the Google Home Assistant that can help you. But if you wanted to do a sentence or translate a conversation, it's slow. So it's like one word. If you want to know what a word means in another language, it works well in that aspect. But the lengthy process, they said not too much. I've used the uh, the Google Translate feature before, and it, it's good with with basic sentences. You can definitely tell it sentences, but don't get too too deep with it. Otherwise, you're going to confuse the people that you're talking to. <laughs> and speaking of that, if you can break this down before we go to break, 
when you say people, they have already programmed this Google Home Assistant. So uh, when you say talking to people, it's not real people in there, is it? <laughs> no, no. It, it's it's what it's used for is, is a bridge for language. So mm-hmm. there'll be two people speaking two different languages, and the Google tr- Home will translate for both people. Ah, interesting. All right. All right. Well, uh, we're going to take our first break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss tips for parenting in a digital age. So if you have children or grandchildren, I know grandparents are kind of confused when your uh, teen comes up to you and talks in that digital age mode. I'm kind of getting there myself. I don't have any grandkids, but my daughter is a teen. So go ahead and get those questions ready. Plus, again, we're taking your personal tech questions. Uh, to be a part of the show, give us a call at one mpb ring That's one 672 Or you can email us at everydaytech at mpbonline.org. Stay tuned. This is Everyday Tech, only on MPB Think Radio. MPB listeners pay attention to quality. They look for quality in their work and their daily lives. If your business cares about quality customers, look to MPB. Go to mpbonline.org underwriting for more information. You're listening to Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. This is MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Everyday Tech, the tech show for everyday people. I'm Michelle McAdoo here today with Jeremy Thompson via Skype. Now, today we're discussing parenting in a digital age and tips on how to navigate your child's tech space. Plus, Jeremy is standing by ready to answer any of your general tech questions. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can reach us by email. The address is everydaytech at mpbonline.org. Well, before we get started on the digital content and how to navigate through it all with your teen or your younger child, we're going to go to the phone lines and uh, welcome, Alan, to the show. Good morning, Alan. Hey, Michelle, Jeremy, and Job. How y'all doing? Doing great. Thanks for calling great. in today. How has hey. your week been? Uh, it's, it's been great. I, well, trying to get used to this constantly fluctuating weather is always a challenge. But like, like Jeremy said, Mississippi weather, you know how it is. But uh, uh, but but I, I'm calling to share a tip today since y'all always are so good about uh, helping everybody else uh, I learned about a, a, a little utility yesterday that I thought was is, just, is really nice. I, I'm a huge fan of Windows Explorer or the file manager, whatever you want to call it in, in the Windows world. And constantly, I, well, not constantly, but every now and then I need to, to do a file conversion where, where you take a file that's one type and you might want to convert it to another type. That, that's real common with audio and, and maybe some video file formats or, or maybe in certain document formats as well. Well, th- this is a little utility that you can install, and it adds itself to your Windows Explorer context menu so that if you're, you're looking at a list of files and you right-click on them to bring up that context menu, it gives you the ability, uh, if the file is a qualifying type, to go in and you can just select it from the menu to convert it to a different file type. It, it's real handy. You don't have to nice. you don't have to run a separate program. It just it comes right up. I learned about it from there's a website uh, or there's an email site uh, that's called Gizmos Freeware that's real good about you know writing articles about different utilities and such. That's where I, that's where I found out about it. But you can just do a search on file converter, I'm sure, and find it. And uh, it's great. I mean, let's say you have a and M4A is the Apple Music format, I think. If you want to convert it to MP3, you can just highlight the file, right-click on it, and it'll give, it'll give you this context menu. And one of the choices in there is File Converter, and you can tell it uh, to convert. 
and it'll do it just bam bam automatically it's, it's real fast so uh, very nice and it's called file well, converter file converter right two, two separate words just like it sounds okay it's, uh, yeah it, it works great it, real handy if you, you use windows explorer a lot it's 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 a quick way to to do a file conversion and stuff and i think it'll even you can highlight multiple files and it'll do like a group kind of conversion too probably best if they're all nice. the same type but uh, yeah so wanted to share that Appreciate the tip, Alan. Yes, thank you, Alan. You always have great tips and great comments every week. Well, if you have any comments or any tips or any questions for our expert, please give us a call. Again, the number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Now, this morning we are talking about about, uh, raising a child in a digital age. Again, I know we have a lot of grandparents listening. We have a lot of parents listening. And you may sometimes feel lost in this world of digital technology and all of the things that your children can do or can't do, uh, all of the apps they have out there for your children. And a lot of people uh, go back and forth with how young is too young to start your child um, on a tablet, um, how much time is uh, too much time on FaceTime or in front of a um, tablet or phone. It's a lot of questions out there, a lot of questions. So we're going to tackle a few of those today. First, uh, studies show that high-quality digital content can help boost children's learning and that parental engagement in that learning plays a critical role in giving kids a strong academic start. But today's digital world can be overwhelming, especially for busy parents like me. So today, again, we're going to talk about parenting in a digital age and how you determine which apps and games are best And we're going to give you a few resources that can help you uh, navigate through it all. Now, Jeremy, I know you're not a parent, um, but do you get a lot of uh, maybe when you go to a home, do you get parents asking you questions on how on parental controls and things like that? Uh, Yeah, parental controls and, you know, how how can I uh, teach my children to uh, safely browse the Internet and – I've I've done one-on-one lessons or even group lessons with families to show them how to uh, to be safe when it comes to browsing and how to run some basic uh, virus scans and things like that. Uh, it, it just ways to keep yourself better protected from the from the darker, nastier places of the internet. Even telling kids something as simple as "Don't click on pop-ups" is something that they may not know that they should not do, but it can create more problems on the computer. So, uh, educating kids in in most cases, as far as I'm concerned, is to keep the computer you know clean. Um, but I, I do answer a lot of parents' questions about technology and how to better manage their children. And we'll we'll talk about that. Uh- in the next segment, I want you to talk more on that and some tips on how parents can monitor. And um, I know you're not as familiar with the Apple um, um, devices, but you do know what we can do on Sam on Android and Apple devices to uh, keep our children just a little bit safer. I know we can't con- um, protect them from everything. But as a parent, we do have uh, devices or controllable um, apps that can help them not be so vulnerable, I'm I'm sure. So we'll talk about that in a little bit later. But let's talk first about what type of benefits does technology bring to your children? A lot of people say, uh, well, it's the devil and, you know, it's going to make them be zombies and no, technology is not good. But technology is good and it helps um, let's start off with a few things that it does. It helps with hand-eye coordination. Do you agree? Yes, absolutely, um, especially when it comes to using a tablet and tapping things on the screen. Um, even some games are uh, educational and still developing hand-eye coordination, although a lot of games that are not educational also help with hand-eye coordination. True. And uh, again, they say educational games that require children to follow objects and interact with them can help their hand-eye coordination. Also, understanding of how to interact with systems. For example, knowing that pressing the right button will invoke the desired action. That is a cognitive um, uh, ability that develops over time. So really uh, helps with hand-eye coordination. Also, access to a wealth of information. I remember back in the day, uh, we used to have the encyclopedia set over the mantle, and that was my Internet. 
And actually, I, I used to read, again, I used to read the encyclopedia for fun. I know I sound like a nerd, but I, I did. And I used to love just learning and looking at the pictures and learning new words and going around the world in your, my encyclopedias. But now they can go online and do it. So uh, technology can give your children a wealth of information. Children can only learn what's available to them. Now, again, traditionally parents, friends, school, and wider communi- uh, community would have uh, only been able to give them what they know. Now the World Wide Web gives them a vast library of material. And uh, do you have so, anything to add to that? Yeah. I mean, uh, I was one of those kids. I mean, 20 years ago, uh, or well, what, let's see. Yeah, about 20 years ago, when I first got a computer and got on the internet and started learning stuff, I was like, wait a minute. I can just, I can just type anything I want to learn in this <laughs> thing, and then I can just go do it. I learned HTML code. I learned uh, lots of stuff about networking and computers. I mean, that is that is where I got my start. So it, it's kind of funny, you know, these days, uh, people if they if they think that these things cannot be used with discipline to teach somebody something, then they're definitely wrong. There And nowadays with, with video content out there, it's so much easier to visually absorb and audibly absorb all of this information. And then when you include games in there you've got the kinetic learning as well you've got quite a quite a little melting pot for information there and think about this my uh in math uh, i was speaking with my daughter's math teacher and she says that the videos they ha- that they put on um uh, the websites for the kids uh, to learn khan academy the videos uh help the children break down the problem and it shows them how to do it. It's almost like having a virtual teacher online. So when you're at school, you can watch the teacher do the pro um, the problem in front of you. But when you get home and you're doing your homework, you can actually click on Khan Academy and watch someone work the problem and you can stop it, pause it, speed it up. It helps. And I, I like you said, that uh, video and watching them break down that problem helps the child more. So I think technology has really opened up a bigger door for education but again it requires discipline because it's easy to give a kid a tablet and go okay here go teach yourself (laughs) but then are they going to teach themselves something or are they going to go play a bunch of games it was easy for me because i had the innate desire to learn 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 but not every kid does a lot of kids just want to be entertained flashing lights and pretty colors so you have to make sure that as a parent you're enforcing that and showing them that there are these tools that are available for them and that they need to give those things some time each day or a couple times a week or whatever but we've always got to be using these things to learn and to grow otherwise they're not helping make us smarter they're making us more dependent on them to entertain us and you know uh, if you're just tuning in today we're talking about raising children and parenting in a digital age. If you're a grandparent, if you're a parent, if you're a godparent, I'm sure everyone listening is under one of those categories. Give us a call today. If you have a comment or a question or you want have a general tech question, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 We'd love to hear your comment and question about uh, parenting in a digital age. So please give us a call. Again, the number is one 672 Stay tuned. This is Everyday Tech, only on MPB Think Radio. Well, don't worry. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio. For moments in black history, we salute Fannie Lou Hamer. The civil rights activist Fannie Lou Hamer is known for her words, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, during her testimony at the 1964 Democratic National Convention. But the Mississippi native would also lend her voice to many freedom songs during the civil rights movement. Fannie Lou Hamer was a true champion of the people, and we salute her leadership. This has been MPB's Moment in Black History.
You're listening to Everyday Tech on MVB Think Radio. Thanks for joining us. This is Everyday Tech. I'm Michelle McAdoo here today with our tech expert, Jeremy Thompson, via Skype. Now, if you're just joining the show today, we've been discussing parenting in a digital age and tips on how to navigate through your child's tech space. Plus, we're still taking your personal tech questions. Phone lines are open, so give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can reach us by email. The address is everydaytech at mpbonline.org. Now, you know, during the break, I was talking to our engineer, Java Chapman. He has three little ones. I have a teenager. So it's interesting on um, at how parenting levels change through having little ones and teenagers. Do I need to be more? Uh, tougher with my teenager or do I need to be lenient, more lenient or does he need to be tougher or more lenient at certain ages? Uh, we're going to talk about um, those things, limited screen time and things like that in a little bit. But first, we're going to, uh, well, the caller is not ready yet. So let's bring in uh, Java Chapman and talk about this. Uh, let's start with our limit screen time. How do you do that? Um in your situation with the little ones, yeah, Michelle, with um, and and Jeremy, with um, with us, when it comes to limited screen time, we just try to make sure when they do have screen time, it's also quality screen time. Mm-hmm. I'll give this a uh, ringing endorsement for a program called Osmo, and Osmo is um, a program where you actually. Use your tablet, use your device, but you're not on your tablet. You're not on your device. It, um, you know, have to, has to do with like hands-on activities with um, math and coding and uh, and wordplay. But you actually have these kind of tiles. If I could describe it real quick, you have these tiles that you work with off of your tablet, but it interacts with your tablet. So you're not scrolling YouTube and, and looking at educational videos, but you're doing something just a little bit a little bit different. And like I say, when it comes to us limiting screen time, we just try to make sure the screen time is quality screen time. Now, what's that website again? Because I want to give all of the uh, parents that, and grandparents or godparents that are listening uh, resources that they can you. go to. Again, what is that again? Um, it's, it's, I got it's, you. It's, oh, okay. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Jeremy. It's Play Osmo O-S-M-O Okay. And, you know, uh, Java, you made a good point. Interactive is better than passive. They talk about um, when you're using technology, not just scrolling and looking for videos, actually something that's interactive. And Jeremy mentioned that earlier, something that uh, helps you move and you're doing things and you're figuring things out. You're using your uh, mind and hand-eye coordination and things like that. And it's not just being a babysitter. Yeah, that's <laughs> true because my, my one of my things is, um, I know especially when it comes to, I guess, say older uh, people and just certain uh, younger younger um, people too, I guess in our age bracket who may have kids, they are um, really uh, shunned about technology. Like they don't want their kids to uh, uh, have any screen time or use technology at all, but it really kind of puts them at a disadvantage because everywhere you go, have a computer, certain McDonald's, you don't even have uh, the the um, uh, cashiers. You have to order from from a display. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's good to have those skills, and, and basically they come out of the, the womb now <laughs> ready ready to work those iPads and tablets. But like I said, you just have to make sure that you're having quality screen time and not just that um, scroll, 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 uh, swipe, swipe, swipe type. Uh, uh, screen time. But you make a point, and you know, Jeremy, I'm sure you can um, chime in on this. Technology is everywhere, and you can't run from it. So not teaching your kids how to navigate a mouse, and they talk about this in these uh, on these resources source pages, teaching them at an early age how to use a mouse, how to click a uh, research engine, how to use a computer, because they use them at school. It's no way around it, Jeremy. Well, these days I don't think you have to teach kids that. I think they see their, the adults around them do those things, and they just emulate that behavior naturally. In fact, I've seen my own nieces and nephews pick up their mom's phone and just swipe through a bunch of apps and get to their games and just go <laughs> ham on the thing. And I'm like, wow, they know 
how to. I mean, they they can't read on the thing, but they know the <laughs> patterns. They've they figured out how to get where they want to go. And it's funny that we mentioned games because even with uh, when Windows ninety five came out and it had Minesweeper and uh, some other games that came with it, those games were actually designed to teach people how to do things like use the mouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a phone caller this morning, uh, Rita from Biloxi. Good morning, Rita. Thanks for calling in. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Hi. Uh, I have a question, and I'm uh, one of those older senior young people, <laughs> and I have a DVD that was made of my child's uh Play and the person that made the DVD gave us all permission to reproduce it, to copy it, and I'm not real sure how to do that. Okay, so um, if it was uh, from a local company, it probably doesn't have any copy protection on it or anything, so you should be able to just put that in your computer and uh, use a DVD software to clone the DVD. Okay, wait. Wait right there. Okay. <laughs> I got the part where you said put it in my computer. Mm-hmm. Then what? Do I need to copy need it onto? Kind of, you have to have some kind of software that, that will actually copy that DVD. There has to be some kind of DVD burning software on your computer. Okay. Um, when, I, when I put in a DVD like of a movie that I'm watching, it asks me if I want to burn, which uh-huh. I don't, but... So when you put it in your computer, it asks you if you want to burn something to it? Yes. Okay, that sounds like you actually got a blank DVD. Um, When you put the DVD in your computer and you go to my computer, computer, or this computer, depending on which version of Windows you're running, um, and you look at your DVD drive, uh, does it save if there's anything in it? Can you double-click on it? Uh. I'm not at my computer right now, but I think the answer okay. is yes. So if you double-click on it and it prompts you and says uh, you, you can burn something to this DVD, then there's nothing on it. Uh, another way that you can confirm that is you can actually flip the DVD over, and you should see the light gold where the DVD is unburned, and then there will be a darker circle on that DVD that indicates that something is, in fact, burned on it. If you do not see okay. that darker circle on the bottom, there's nothing on that DVD. Okay, so if something was on it, the black circle would not be there. It's not black. It's going to be kind of like a, a more tan color. But if there's something burned on the DVD, you will see two different colors on the bottom, a lighter gold okay. and then a darker. Okay. So now, it could I... also be that you're having an issue with your DVD player. Have you tried to put it in like a home DVD player or anything? No, I haven't done anything with it yet because I don't want to mess okay. up. Well, you, you won't mess it up if you put it in a home DVD player just to see if it will read that way uh, because it could be that your computer actually can't read that disc. Really? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so I, I, would, I, would watched, try it. Mm-hmm. I have watched the DVD on my laptop. Okay, okay so you've seen it in the past. Okay. Um, yes. If you're being prompted uh, to burn something onto it, either it is a rewritable DVD or uh, something has – Uh, messed up the DVD and your computer can no longer read it. Okay. I I haven't tried to copy it yet because, you know, Mm. when I heard you on the radio this morning with uh, Michelle, one of my favorite people in the world, I thought I'd give you a call. Isn't she awesome? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. Thank Uh, you. So um, if I put... The DVD that I have in the computer, do I need to put it somewhere in the computer, copy uh, it to the well, computer? So when you put it in the drive, it should pop up on the computer, but if it doesn't, you can go to computer. It's a little icon on your desktop, yeah, and yeah. you can double-click on that, and then you can look at the DVD drive, and you should be able to um, at least – explore it or double click on it and see that it has some files on it now as far as copying the dvd goes most computers come with some kind of dvd burning software usually by a company called roxio or um, i think sonic studio is another one um 
there's going to be some kind of uh, burning software with your DVD player unless uh, the people that you got your computer from did not preload any on there. Okay. So now mm-hmm. go ahead. Um, when it comes to uh, copying DVDs, there are uh, some software out there that you can find for free. But as we say, when it comes to free software, you always want to be careful um, when you're browsing for it and when you're installing it because it usually comes with some extra bells and whistles. But if you Google DVD cloner, you should be able to find some software out there that will help you clone that DVD. Okay. I understand everything you're saying, I think. So far, Mm -hmm. but I don't have to like save that DVD to my hard drive or a file. No, ma'am. When you you use the DVD cloning software, it will do that for you. Okay, so then I take my DVD out and put a blank one in. It will actually eject the DVD for you, and it will say insert disk. So you'll you'll know. It, it will guide you through the process. Okay. It'll tell me to remove the original and put yes, a new ma'am. one in. Okay. Now, de- okay. now, depending on the size of your DVD, the length of your video, that process could take a while. But there should be a progress bar that comes up that lets you know just exactly how much longer you need or how, how many more how, – how much longer the process may take in terms of percentage or it might even tell you time. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know the DVD is about two hours long, so I mean, mm-hmm. then it'll probably take Sorry. probably take a little while for it to copy it. Okay. All right. When what was your first name? I'm sorry. Jeremy. Jeremy. All right. Thank you very much. Yes, I ma'am. Thanks it. for your call. Thank you, Rita. Thank you so much for calling in and listening to the show. We're gonna before the break. We're gonna to go to Ben because I believe he has something to say about uh, your issue, Rita. Good morning, Ben. Thanks for calling the show. Hey, hey. So I was. I'm just listening, and I think there. I, I hear like a miscommunication potentially, and I, I want to kind of bridge a gap here. Um, if you're running a Windows computer, an old one or a new one, when you put a DVD in your in your disk drive. Usually there's an automatic thing that pops up that says, hey, what do you want to do with this? And, and then it will give you a list of options. And from that list of options, there will be, do you want to make a copy or do you want to burn it? Or, or do you want to just watch it? Or do you want to open it and view the files? And if that's happening, then I think that Jeremy may be forgetting that that happens or, or taking for granted that you, know, that you know what that is. And so my guess is if it's, if it's popping up automatically and saying, hey, do you want to burn this, your computer may already come with some DVD burning software. Windows Media Player usually kind of has something automatic in it that comes with most stock Windows computers now. So you might already have the program that you need to burn a DVD um, on your computer and just not know it is really all I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, I will say that Windows Media Player will actually not clone DVDs. So okay. this has got to be Roxio or something like that. But, yeah, definitely yeah. you will get that pop-up when you put the disc in, and it will prompt you, do you want to burn it, do you want to open it, et cetera, et cetera. But what she was saying was that she was getting a prompt that said that uh, – it was asking her if she wanted to burn something to it. So it's either got to be a rewritable disc or there's something up with the program that she's got in Windows, and it's not it's not interpreting it as a DVD. I don't. I don't. I, I mean, there's there's a lot of different variables here. I try yeah, to you know address the, the most common ones. Either, so it just to me it sounded like she may have been using the word burn a little bit more liberally as just do some, right. you know, as make a copy, whereas some people interpret it as adding data to a disk. Okay. Sure. Anyway. Thank you, Ben, for that. I'm glad you're listening to the show, and uh, you can give Miss Rita a few more tips on how to uh, copy her DVD play um, that she has. But we're going to take um, our final break, but stick around. We've got some great tips to help you as parents navigate through this digital world. Plus, there's still time for you to ask any general tech question. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 877 or you can reach us by email at everydaytech at mpbonline.org. Stay tuned. This is Everyday Tech, the tech show for everyday people. Only on MPB Think Radio.
Running a business requires smart decisions every day. Make a good decision for your company today and reach MPB listeners through MPB program underwriting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting. You're listening to Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. This is Everyday Tech, the tech show for everyday people. I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with our tech expert, Jeremy Thompson, via Skype. Now, today we've been discussing parenting in a digital age and tips on how to navigate your child's tech space. Now, if you'd like to be a part of the show, phone lines are still open. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can reach us by email at everydaytech at mpbonline.org. Now, before we get back into some tips and resources for parents, let's go back to the phone lines. And Jeremy, I have another Jeremy online. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning. Thanks for calling in. What's your question or comment? My comment is uh, when you look into reading applications for uh, kids, you, you want to kind of look at the, uh, the philosophy or the pedagogy of what they're trying to teach. Uh, some reading experts have been debunked on the, the process of teaching reading. And uh, since technology is so new to our, our whole life, uh, we haven't adapted fully on learning in a certain way. And I just wanted to let parents know that there's, there is science and, and data to back up different ways to teach reading, especially, and just, just watch what, what, which ones you're getting. Do you have any um, particular websites that on resources that can help parents, especially with the early ones, the young ones to help their children read? I'm, I don't have one on hand. I'm mm-hmm. sure the Department, uh, Mississippi Department of Education has uh, the data on there that they can help them and guide them through it. Okay, so that's Mississippi Department of Education, probably .com or .org. Yeah, and they .org. can find some um, resources to help your children use technology to read. Very good. Thank you for calling in and listening today. All right, speaking, that was a good segue to our next segment. Um, we're going to talk about a few tips and resources that can help parents uh, navigate through this ever-changing digital landscape. One I found was called the Tablet Project. That's T as in Tom, A-B as in boy, L-E-T Project. Now, it is www.bbk.com. It's kind of long. <laughs> Let me see. www.bbk.com dot ac dot uk backslash tablet protect project backslash main but actually tablet underscore underscore, yeah i can't see that on thank you so much dear that's why i love you no but this is the toddler uh, uh, attentional behaviors and l um, and learning with touch screens it teaches your children it teaches parents how to teach their children how to use technology from six months to three years old. And that's very, very important. you see anything else on that website uh, that you have pulled up, Jeremy, that we can talk about right now before we go to our next point? Well, I didn't actually have the website pulled up, but (laughs) as I discuss this right now, I am trying. Um, No, it looks pretty basic, actually. I don't really have like... It's a study. I see a... mm -hmm. I see a baby with one of those neuro net things on his head. Right, like right. they're they're monitoring all his electrical impulses in his brain. But well, I don't me, see an app. Let me break it down. The project takes place both online via short questionnaires at the Center for Brain and Cognitive Development. Now, um they help parents and help uh, little ones learn how t- and see how they learn using technology. Research is the key and I, I understand that uh they don't want to get too um uh sidetracked with technology and not, like Java said, using the technology to help educate the children. Now, another one is make your own family media use plan. If you've never heard of a family media use plan, it is very important. Now, media should work for uh, for you and within your family values and parenting style. So whatever your family values are, 
that needs to go into the technology and the uh, digital use. When used thoughtfully and appropriately, media can enhance daily life. But when used inappropriately, inappropriately or without thought, media can displace many dis, um, place many important activities such as face-to-face interaction, family time, outdoor play, exercise, unplugged downtime, and sleep. So make your uh, media plan at healthychildren.org. Again, that's healthychildren.org. They give you a lot of ideas and resources and how to use technology in your family. Another um, a great idea is to create a tech-free zone. Java, um, can you talk about a tech-free zone in your family, in your uh, dynamic and how you guys do that? Uh, our house is a tech-free zone. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, just being honest, uh, mo- most recently we, we have um, unplugged our, our six-year-old and our two-year-old from their devices. Uh, I mean, you know, being in total honesty, um, me and my wife would get home, hard day's work, tired, uh, got to cook dinner and get the house in order, and we would give them their devices, and they would just do whatever they like to do. Mm-hmm. But that kind of uh, lends itself for a little bit of chaos, so we kind of unplugged and and took them away and actually you know after a little bit of an adjustment period um everything is fine the world has not uh crashed <laughs> crashed they didn't go through withdrawals or anything <laughs> well a little bit of withdrawals and that's that's one drawback if you if you start them off on their screens and and they have kind of like unlimited range it can um set them up where they they kind of need it and want it <laughs> okay well you know what thank you java for chiming in today thank you jeremy for uh Great tips. Even though you don't have children, you gave us some great tips on how to navigate as a parent through this digital world. Now, if you uh, have any more questions, all of our resources and websites will be posted on our podcast. Again, that will wrap up our show for today. And thank you for listening to Everyday Tech. And as always, if you miss part of the show or want to hear past episodes, you can listen on our website at mpbonline.org or subscribe to our podcast. For Jeremy Thompson. I'm Michelle McAdoo. Up next is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy. And join us next week for another episode of Everyday Tech, the tech show for everyday people at 10 a.m. Only on MPB Think Radio.